Anyway, um, reason I ask if you have uh, snowblowers is because uh, pretty soon, Lord willing, you're going to have to put them away. And when you put them away, put away your uh, plowing equipment and stuff, you don't just put it away, do you? You got to you got to take care of it. You got to do a few things so that next winter, when you get it out, it's ready to go. Uh, some of you have snowmobiles. Anybody? Snowmobiles? Uh, yeah, a few of you. Yeah? You're going to have to do the same with those, too, aren't you? Why? Because you made an investment and now you got to take care of it. Uh, we do it with our cars, right? Do it with your equipment, right, Myron? You got to just take care of the stuff that you've poured some money in. Can I suggest to you that you need to do that even more so with your marriages? We're busy, we're making, we're doing stuff. Oh yeah, I get it. But when it comes to our marriages, a lot of times, eh, I don't have time. I don't really have time nor the energy. And yet, I would suggest to you, most important relationship in life, love the Lord your God, how? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second most important thing in life is love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your most important neighbor? Myron, it's Kimberly. She's your number one neighbor. Okay, Adam, your number one neighbor. Down the, Jill, yeah, again, your most important neighbor is your spouse. And, and I just really want to encourage you to make the investment to get here on the 27th. And I know you can find a lot of reasons. I'm sure every one of us can find an excuse not to be here, can't you? You can find, oh, I got this going. I'm telling you, find a reason to get here and do what it takes to make that investment. We've made it absolutely as reasonable as possible. Uh, 25 bucks a couple, and that includes lunch, Bob. Uh, matter of fact, you know, if you just go take your bride out for lunch, you, you've blown a good share of that $25. And here's the truth. If $25 is preventing you from coming, then see me or see Pastor Bob. We'll, we'll figure out what it takes to get you there, okay? So one way or the other. Now we're bringing the very best in the area. Uh, we've decided who's the best we know in the area to get here. And, and the truth is, the very best person I know of, the, the best professional, the best resource in the area is Jim Marshall. And the Lord has used Jim, I've seen in the 28 plus years I've been here, to save and strengthen more marriages than anybody else. So he's really good. I got to meet with him uh, yesterday for, for uh, lunch and uh, kind of planned a little bit what they're gonna talk, what he's gonna talk about and give him a little background perspective. So this is good stuff, um, but the, the cheap seats are just about over, y'all. So, uh, so, Bill, you need to get in on the action, okay? So, so get you and Monica the tickets. Uh, next Sunday uh, is the last day for the early bird price, and after that, the price goes up. And then guess what? Some of you will have another excuse for not coming. Oh, I didn't get in on the... No, no, you were warned, okay? And, and again, I'm just challenging you. Get here, Saturday, April 27th, 9 to 3.30. And uh, if you have teens... Uh, high school and up, and they uh, need to know about marriage too. Great, great opportunity for them as well. Okay? The commercial is over. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Get off my toes. Okay, I will. Until we move into God's Word. Okay, Paul? Okay. Uh, true story. 
Ron grew up in church. And uh, the pastor in the church that Ron grew up in um, somehow most Sundays found a way to work the subject of alcohol into his sermons. Uh, almost every Sunday, somehow, there was an application or an illustration about the danger of alcohol. Uh, the reason for this, this good-hearted pastor grew up in an alcoholic family, and he knew very well the danger that alcohol could, uh, could play, and it had scarred him uh, personally, so he wanted to spare the flock from harm. One Sunday, um, during the sermon, the pastor decided he was going to erect a fence. And, he, and here's what a fence is. Uh, a fence is uh, an object that keeps you from going over, in this case, in his mind, going over the ledge um, and getting yourself into big trouble. So here's his fence. And he announced this in church. Um, he said, you know... I've been down the beer, wine, and liquor aisle at the local A&P, and he went to the other store in the other town, and he said, and there's nothing in that aisle that any of us needs. So his fence was, so church family, let's just stay out of that aisle. Matter of fact, he called it the devil's aisle. Stay out of the devil's aisle. None of you, there's nothing in that aisle that any of us need, so you just stay out of that aisle. Uh, some months later, the well-meaning pastor erected a second fence. He said, uh, you know, I've been to some of the area restaurants, and a lot of them are serving alcohol. They got a bar right in there. And uh, then I recall he, he said, uh, and uh, there's lots of other really good restaurants, so here's my challenge to us here at this church. We don't need to go to those restaurants. So, second fence is uh, don't eat any, at any restaurants that have a bar or serve alcohol. Don't need that, not necessary, lots of other good places to eat. Sometime later, the pastor, um, after he had been to a few graduation parties and a few weddings, saw that at those that he had recently attended, there was lots of alcohol flowing at the graduation parties and at the wedding receptions. So then his instruction is, go to the wedding, show up, shake the hand, and get out of there. You don't go to receptions, you don't go to graduations where alcohol is being served. Now just think with me. Well-meaning pastor, he'd experienced the trauma of the abuse of alcohol firsthand. So therefore, well-meaning, he's going to erect fences. Fence number one, don't go down the devil's aisle at the grocery store. Number two, don't go to any restaurants that serve alcohol. Uh, fence number three, don't even go to any weddings or graduations where alcohol is served. And his heart, I'm protecting my flock. Please get his heart. He, he meant well. Uh, it was, I'm protecting this church family of mine. Now, Ron was sitting there, and, and he got that, that message over and over and over again. Ron grew up in that church, and that wasn't the first time he'd heard variations on those fences. But here's the problem. Are you ready? 
Young people like Ron are going to test the fences. You know that, right? You put a fence up, what's a fence for, right? We're, we're going we're to scale the fence, you know. If you call it an uh, electric fence, I'm going to go touch it. Uh, and I'm going to go see what exactly is happening. That's exactly what Ron did. And sure enough, one day, when he was feeling pretty brave, he walked down the devil's aisle in the local grocery store. And he walked down, and he actually even touched a few things. Didn't buy anything. And guess what? Are you ready? Nothing happened. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not a raging alcoholic by walking down that, uh, that aisle. So sure enough, you know what he's going to do the next. Uh, he scales the next fence, and uh, he purposely heads out, and he's going to go to a restaurant that had a bar, and he's going to eat there. And sure enough, nothing happened. <laughs> he, he ate, and he didn't order any alcohol, but again, he didn't, didn't become grossly affected by scaling that second fence. Now, Ron heads for the third fence, and the next graduation party, the next wedding reception with alcohol, he stays. And he actually has a good time. He didn't drink, but nothing happens. He's jumped over all three fences that he was warned, don't do this, bad, awful, terrible stuff will happen. And he's doing fine. So now, Ron reasons, listen, if the pastor was wrong on those three fences that he built, maybe, maybe he's wrong about whiskey and peach schnapps and Budweiser too. Only this time, something happens. Only this time, Ron gets drunk, and Ron gets a taste for alcohol, and soon, every weekend, Ron is wanting to taste alcohol, and it goes from every weekend to almost every day, Ron is uh, drinking and, uh, and getting himself drunk. Ron, sadly, heads down a lifetime path filled with addiction to alcohol. That's a true story. How do you know? Ron was a good friend of mine. Ron was a good friend of mine. And uh, uh, he, uh, he and I talked a lot about those fences that he scaled over. Now, now let me ask you a question, okay? Is the blame for Ron and his lifetime of addiction all on this well-meaning pastor who set up those fences because he cared deeply for his flock? And I got to honestly say, of course not. All the blame doesn't go on him, and uh, that wasn't all him. But when in each fence that he erected, man-made, proved to be wrong, he was basically saying, you know what, this is just as important as God's word. I'm telling you, this pastor contributed with his false fences to where Ron ended up. He did. He did. Again, if the pastor had stuck with God's word and realized, you know what, I don't need to add extra fences, God's word is clear on this subject all by itself. Don't need any extra fences. Just stick to the book. Uh, Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Proverbs 23, 29 and 30, drinking causes woe, sorrow, fighting, babbling, Wounds without cause and red eyes. Isaiah 19, 14, drunken men stagger in their vomit. 
Romans 13, 13, don't walk in drunkenness or immorality. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, don't associate with someone who claims to be a Christian who's a drunkard. Ephesians 5, 18, don't get drunk on wine. 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4, drunkenness, carousing, reckless, wild living has no place in a Christian's life. My point is this. That subject doesn't need extra fences. God's word is pretty clear all on its own. But somehow, some way in our minds, we think that we can help God out by adding to his word. There, there's something in humans, and we think, well, extra rules and extra regulations will make God's word even better. And I just want you to know, as soon as we start adding fences, adding extra rules and regulations, we're on dangerous ground. It's like I'm thinking, Lord, um, I know you got your word and it's inspired and it's all I need for life, but I think I'm going to help you out. <laughs> I, think you need, I think you left out a few pages, so I'm going to add on to what you've written down, inspired by your spirit, and I'm going to add extra rituals and regulations and rules and fences to your book. God's word is great, but you know, God really needs my brilliance to add to what he's written down. It's really what we're doing when we add those fences. And I want you to know, almost every book in the New Testament warns of legalism, focusing on rules and regulations and rituals and codes of conduct and fences and I could just start uh, Book of Acts, Acts 10, Acts 15, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8. Almost the entire book of Galatians is written because now they've went into uh, rule, ritual, code form. And they're all about that. Colossians 2. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, Jesus constantly was battling the Pharisees. Listen closely. And most of the time he was battling over the Sabbath. And Jesus never violated God's word, the Old Testament. Jesus was battling that he was violating their fences. Jesus kept jumping over their man-made fences, and they were furious. He never jumped over God's word, the Old Testament, but they were, they were enraged at him. How dare you jump over our fences? I'm just telling you. Christians and churches and preachers have been trying to help God out ever since the church was founded in Acts chapter 2. It's just something in us. I think, I think I need to add a few things. This is good, but let's add to it. And that is the essence of legalism. Got it? I think I'm going to add some stuff to make God's word even better. It'll help me be more effective as a Christian. It'll keep me from and protect me from sin. So we're adding stuff to God's word. That's legalism. And that's what Paul is going to address to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn there with me if you would, please. Because uh, the leaders and the teachers in the church at Ephesus were uh, obviously convinced that they were helping God out by adding extra stuff to the Bible. And here is what God thought through inspired Paul to write these. Here's what God thinks about adding extra stuff on 
to his book. Let's stand together. We'll read the first five verses, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here we go. Let's read together. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I'd like to think um, that we don't struggle with legalism <laughs> in your church here at Walloon. And yet, I'm confident that's exactly what the church at Ephesus thought too. Lord, the truth is uh, legalism is crafty and sneaky. And it's really hard to detect in the mirror. So, Lord, we need uh, to open up the mirror of your word today together and hear from you. Lord, uh, point out any areas where I, as one of the pastors in your church, have been guilty of legalism by adding stuff to your word. So, show that to us. Show us all today where we might have thought we were helping you out by adding fences and rules and regulations to the clear instruction of your word. And Lord, show us uh, what happens when we ignore the warnings that we're going to study today. Show us, Lord, what, what happens when we add things to your inspired instruction. And Lord, I'm praying that you'll help uh, Jeff to get out of the way today. Uh, the last thing we need to do is to hear from these goofy lips of mine, Lord. Uh, help us instead to tune in to your still small voice. Help us, Lord, to hear from your spirit in conjunction with the clarity of your word. And Lord, uh, we just ask that you might speak clearly and loudly to us as a church, to us as families, to marriages, to individuals here today. Speak, Lord, your church. We're listening to what you have to say to us, even now. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with energy and enthusiasm. Amen. Nice job. Uh, before we go any further, let me, let me be real clear on something. It's not wrong to have personal convictions. It's not wrong for you to have listened to the Lord regarding disputable matters and come to conclusions for you or for you and your family if you have tectons in the household. Uh, in other words, that's somebody who lives under mom and dad's roof as long as you are under mom and dad's roof, you are a tecton, and you are subject to 
their guidelines and family rules and regulations, and it's absolutely fine. Matter of fact, it's, it's a sign of maturity to have family rules and regulations, okay? So if you want more understanding of how that all works out, Romans 14, just write it down, makes it real clear that each of us needs to go before the Lord on disputable matters and ask the Lord, Lord, is this right for me or not right for me? What would you have me to do on this disputable matter? A matter that's not sin. It's not clearly you have to do this or never do this. It's, Lord, show me what to do or not to do on this non-sin issue. So, personal convictions are healthy and mature. I think it's time for Pastor Jeff to preach. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Personal convictions are healthy and mature. And, and I think that's where that pastor that I talked about, I think that's where he was coming from. He was sharing with the flock his personal convictions. And he was convicted, don't go down that aisle in the supermarket. And don't eat at those restaurants with a bar. And don't go to weddings and, and graduations where alcohol is being freely served. That was his personal convictions. Follow me here. Legalism is when we take what Jesus has shown us personally, and then suddenly now I'm going missionary with it. And this isn't just for me. Robert, this is for you. The Lord showed me that I shouldn't do this, and now I'm taking this personal conviction, and I'm making it a rule. The Lord gives me a tool, a personal conviction, and now I'm going to make it a rule, and I'm going to expect all of you to abide by the personal convictions that Jesus has shown me. Are you tracking? That's the essence of legalism. The Lord shows you, and then now you are going to enforce that on everybody else. And if you don't do what the Lord has shown me that you should do, I'm going to judge you. And we're going to put you in bad categories. And uh, it's not going to be good for you if you don't go by the rules that the Lord has shown me that we all should have. That's legalism. That's legalism. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, I go into a video store, and uh, I'm going to rent the newest Disney film. How's that, Jack? Okay. Uh, pretty pretty generic, pretty uh, innocent, and it's, it's fine, and it's good. But while I'm in this video store, I realize the back room of this video store has a triple X back room video section. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and I'm just there to get the Disney movie. But while I'm checking out my Disney movie, I see dozens and dozens of uh, cartons of pornographic triple X stuff piled high all around. And, and while I'm checking out, the Spirit speaks to my spirit and says, clearly, Jeff, you realize this store is profiting and is, is uh, here mostly on triple X stuff. Uh, Jeff, you got no business doing business in this store any longer. Now the Lord has spoken clearly to me, Romans 14. Again, it's disputable. Can you go into a store and rent a Disney movie? But now the Spirit has spoken to me, and now it's clear for me. I know what i got to do. 
That's a personal conviction between the Lord and myself. Tracking? Now is where it gets challenging. Uh, it becomes legalism when I go missionary and I say, you know what, Myron, you can't go. As a leader in this church, you and Kim, and so you can't go to this video store anymore. Because I went in here and I saw awful stuff and the Lord spoke to me and because he spoke to me, therefore you can't do it. And if you do that, I'm going to judge you. And we're all going to go naughty, naughty, naughty. And we will shun you and we'll do all that kind of stuff. Why? Because you're not meeting up with our codes and our regulations. You need to boycott this store like I'm doing. You need to proceed and erect a fence for, for everybody. And now we all should have this fence. Again, that personal conviction the Lord showed me, that's a gift. That's a wonderful tool the Lord gives us as his kids. But when I start taking that gift, that tool, and turn it into a rule for everybody, that's where legalism comes from. Let's dig in, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Most people minimize legalism. Have you noticed? Well, that's... It's just what some people do. That's just their deal. They get a little carried away. It's really not that big of a deal. I just want you to look at verse 1. Paul says, no, this is a huge deal. Legalism is a big deal to God. Why? Because he says, verse 1, Satan and his demons use legalism to infiltrate into churches. Let that settle in just a bit. Satan and his demons use legalism to get, worm their way into churches. And then it says, in later times. Oh, good. That doesn't apply till now, right? That's not till Jesus is coming back. That's in the last days. So this doesn't apply to us. Right, Greg? So we can just skip right over. And uh, legalism isn't a problem today. Um, it's just those those few months before Jesus returns and the book of Revelation gets turned on, right? Um, I could spend an hour telling you why that's not true, but just let me explain, in, even in, in the clear understanding of what Paul is saying in the Greek, last days is later times, and he's really talking about the later times. The Spirit spoke to Jesus. Jesus warned of times like this, and now Paul is reaffirming, yep, and he continues to, Satan and his demons continue to use legalism to infiltrate the church. And Satan and his demons will continue to use legalism to infiltrate and worm their way into the church until Jesus returns the last days. Verse 2. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Now just track, verse 1, these teachers in the church at Ephesus had been influenced and deceived by who? Verse 1, Satan and his demons. And now as a result, they've bought into their legalistic 
help God out, add to God's word mindset, and now over time, as they continue thinking that I need to help God out, I need to keep adding more rules and regulations and more codes and more systems, over time, look at verse 2, their consciences get seared. And now that's all they're about. Let's just make more fences. We'll become the church of fences. And man, do we have rules. And man, are we spiritual. Because look at all the rules we got. They were so into their legalism, adding to God's word, that they left behind the simple gospel faith in Jesus Christ. By faith alone. In Christ alone. They'd forgotten emphasizing the cross and the empty tomb. They weren't into drawing near to Christ and knowing him as your best friend. They weren't into getting filled with his spirit and walking with Jesus. They were all into foolish legalism and their silly fences. Verse 3. Um, here's their legalistic teaching. Verse 3, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. Two of the most basic appetites of humans, God-given appetites, are sex and hunger. Can I hear an amen for that? Natural God-given appetites. And now these teachers are saying, sorry. If you really want to be a gold-plated, extra-spiritual person, you need to buy into our rule. No sex, no marriage, no eating of these foods. Renounce your right to marriage. Renounce your right to enjoy sex in marriage. Renounce your right to eat bacon, chocolate, Diet Coke, roast beef, onion rings. You could keep going. Pick your favorites. Because really to be a spiritual, really godly, extra-duty, gold-plated religious person like me, you got to follow my fences. And I'm telling you, you can't do any of this. Now, now just pause for a moment. Is it okay if you have the gift of singleness to choose not to get married? What's the answer? Of course. And, and, if, and if the Lord has spoken to you and you need to avoid fried foods or sugar or you're sensitive to NutraSweet or whatever, is that okay to listen to the nudging of the Lord for you? And the answer is, it's when I go that next step and say, now, you can't get married, and I'm going to renounce my marriage, and no more sex in marriage, and oh, by the way, you can't eat any of the stuff you really enjoy eating. Pick that, whatever it is. No more coffee for you in the morning. We're going to take away all the things that you enjoy because that's what it takes for you to be like me and we can all be extra pious. That's what was going on here in the church at Ephesus. So, why was Paul so worked up? Why is God so concerned through Paul with legalism? Why, why does he say legalism stinks so bad? Verse 3, last part, here we go. Because God created marriage and food to be received and enjoyed with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for everything God created is what? 
Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Verse 5, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Three times here, three times he emphasizes God's given us amazing creative gifts to be praised and enjoyed. Says it again. God's good gift to us of marriage, Genesis 3. God's good gift to us of food. And he calls all that he created, Genesis 1.31, very good. Not just good, but this is really good. Uh, God gave two thumbs up. So to call God's good gifts bad, this is forbidden, is to slap our awesome creator's good gifts. Slap him in the face. No, thank you. I reject the good gifts that you've brought me. So, just think with me now. We're called as followers of Jesus to celebrate and enjoy God's good gifts. Things like lakes and rivers and mountains and forests and flowers and birds and fish and sunsets and marriage and sex and children and parents and food and drink and music and art and drama and literature and sports and recreation. You mean I can actually enjoy all that stuff? You better. You better because those are God's good gifts to us. And sometimes we're so focused, we're so serious, and it's like I can't enjoy anything because I'm a Christian. Really? Really? That's, that's exactly opposite of what he says here. Celebrate the Lord. He's amazing. He's the giver of good gifts. To reject and insult the giver of good gifts is what was happening here. And then we start adding stuff to God's word. <laughs> uh, instead, of, instead of enjoying his good gifts, no, no, I think instead, I think I'm going to be very, very focused on being a good rule keeper. And I've got this code of conduct, and I want to make sure that I and everybody I know follows Jesus. So we're going to develop this intricate code of conduct with all of these fences and rules and rituals, and pretty soon, that's what being a Christian is all about. Listen, and pretty soon, we're not talking about Jesus. We're not opening up to the clarity of God's Word. We're not talking about being filled with His Spirit. We're not talking about the cross and the empty tomb. It's all about rules. It's all about fences. And can I just tell you, fences and rules have no power. You understand? They have no power. Matter of fact, they drain power, and they drain joy, and they drain hope, and they drain life change. That's the problem with legalism. There's no power in it. It's all about rules. And that was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees. You guys are all about rules, but there's no power there. There's no life change. There's no joy. Man-made rules, regulations, and fences drain the joy and the power and the life out of the Christian life. They do. And uh, now they've gotten into here in the church at Ephesus. Look at it. Just, just We're going to add stuff. We're going we're we're to build extra stuff. Now normally, look at verse 1. When you think of Satan... Don't you normally think of Ouija boards and uh, satanic circles and chantings and, 
out in the middle of the woods and there's blood and dead cats and all sorts of weird stuff going on. Don't you normally think about that when you think about Satan? But I want you to look at verse 1. But Satan and his demons are much more brilliant than that. Uh, that's really not what they're into. They're on all about, let, let's take the message of the gospel and God's word, and then let's just do some add-on to it. Let, let's improve on it. And we'll add rules and fences and codes. And oftentimes, let's keep like 90%. We'll keep 90% of the truth, and we'll just do 5 10% add-on. And the simple gospel message, when we start adding on, gets muddied and obscured. And instead of living daily for Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb, instead of focusing on making Jesus my koinonia best friend, instead of walking and becoming a student of God's word, that stuff gets left in the dust. And it's all about the rules now. Pastor Larry Osborne says it this way, I like this. Jesus lowered the bar and said, I'll take care of you on the cross. Legalism raises the bar. <laughs> and by raising the bar, it discourages many people from becoming followers of Christ. Well, I could never be a good rule keeper like you, and they just don't want anything to do with Christianity or church. I, I couldn't do it like that. And those who are good at performing... They're really good at being rule keepers. Well, they become proud and self-sufficient and judgmental. I want to close. I've got three minutes, okay? Five reasons why legalism stinks and is a big deal to Jesus and should be a big deal to us. Timmy, there'll be no closing song today. I apologize, okay? First, first reason Legalism is a big deal to Jesus. It's because it's adding to God's word. We're saying, Lord, I know you're almighty and all-knowing and awesome and all that, but I think you need my help, so I'm going to add to it. And I'm going to add extra stuff to be emphasized. Old Testament, Proverbs 30, 5 and 6, write it down. Here's what it says. Don't add to God's word. Bad stuff will happen if you do. New Testament, Revelation 22, 18. You can write that down. Here's what it says. You ready? Don't add to God's word. If you do, bad stuff's going to happen. So you got it Old Testament and new. Second reason legalism stinks is because it prevents us from enjoying God's good gifts. Hey, Gene, we're all focused on the rules and the fences and all about the things we can't do and we got to do this and no, you can't go here and you can't walk down. And it's all about the negative. I'm convinced the Christian life is meant to be lived in the positive. Track with me. The Christian life is meant to be lived in the positive. I've come that you might have life, Jesus says, and have it to the full. And... Uh, when you, when you get into legalism, it's not positive. It's mostly focused on the rules and the negative. People were attracted to the positive teaching and example of Jesus. And who was the, the great exception to that? Who was angry with Jesus? And the answer is the rule keepers, <laughs> the rule makers. They were ticked. They didn't like Jesus. Third reason legalism 
is a big deal to Jesus because it focuses on the externals. I'm all, now the Christian life is all about the rules. And Jason, as you're watching me, I got to make sure that I'm keeping all the expectations in the code of conduct and make sure that I'm doing it the way that I'm expected to do it. And I'm, it's all about the externals where the Christian life is all about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's, it's, it's the internals of loving Jesus. So legalism pushes us to major on minors. And worse, legalism pushes us to minor on the majors. Just exactly opposite of where we should be. Fourth, reason why legalism smells to high heaven. It's an awful witness to the unchurched. If, if we're all about the rules and we got lots of fences going on in our life, guess what we're focused on? Guess what we're talking about? Guess what we got the eye on? I've got my eye on you and, and you're not doing it the right way. And even with unchurched people, we're not focused on the fact that unchurched Harry and Mary don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're all wigged out because they're smoking. Can I just, just think about that for a minute? Oh, no, they're smoking. Excuse me, but they're headed to smoking in the lake of fire. That's the critical thing, amen? And we're all wigged out on the little stuff, little rules. Oh, no, they drink too much. Oh, no, they're headed to a Christless eternity. Should be where we're at. The unchurched are not attracted to rules and regulations and fences. The unchurched are attracted to the reality of Jesus shining bright in his kids. And you don't get that through rules and codes and rituals. Fifth, finally, if that doesn't uh, get your attention, then, then listen to this. Jesus thinks legalism is a big deal because it affects negatively our children and our grandchildren. Do you know how many people today grew up in church and now they want nothing to do with church? And if you, if you drill down a little bit with them, most of them, the reason they don't want anything to do with church and Jesus and the Bible, guess why? Because all they caught from the system they grew up in was fences. That, that's all they, and it was all about the codes, and you can't do this, and negative reinforcement here, and man-made rule here, and it's all about the don'ts. Here's what Colossians 2.21 says. If we're not careful, church, here's what we'll be about. This is church. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And some of our kids are getting that message. Don't do this, don't do that, and you can't do this. That's what being a Christian is. And if your kids and your grandkids see it regularly, legalism played out in front of them, they're going to say, I don't think so. I don't think I want any of that. Guess what they need from us? They need Jesus live large and strong in their parents' life. Your kids need Jesus lived out daily, shining bright in your grandkids' lives. That's what attracts people to Jesus. That's what will affect your children. 
And, and I'll just say this one, one last thought. You got too many personal convictions in the family, and you're all focused on even the family rules, and you're not letting Jesus shine bright, that's going to have negative effects too. Live strong for Jesus, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. That's going to affect powerfully your children and your grandchildren. We're out of time. Bow your heads. Touch your eyes. Lord, uh, forgive us for being people that are prone to wander and prone to uh, add stuff to your book. And Lord, I know that at times I've been guilty of that. Forgive me. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you might deliver this preacher and your church from the deceptive lies and uh, half-truths of legalism. And, Lord, we know who's behind that. So help us, Lord, here in your church to be wise and be ready to quickly extinguish legalism whenever it pokes its ugly head out of the ground. And help us to do that with truth and love. And I even pray as we close for those who are here today who are still bearing the scars of growing up in a legalistic home or a legalistic church or a legalistic school. And I pray that you might bring healing and freedom as we walk with your son, Jesus. And uh, finally, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to stay on track with your book. Uh, help us, Lord, to resist the urge to add extra stuff to your word. And I pray that for each and every one of us, and especially for me, Lord. Work powerfully in us, and uh, we're grateful that your book corrects and gets us back on track when we get off track. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.